0: Dude, don't. Uh, Tommy, don't, don't do that. Uh, Dude, don't say that. Don't go there. I heard the word don't a lot as a kid, and as a curious kid and teenager, I, I honestly hated hearing the word don't. Now, my name is Tommy Cummins. I'm on the student team here at Plum Creek. And it's interesting to me to think about how much I hated hearing the word don't as a kid, and yet how much I say the word don't now that I'm a parent. Uh, Laney, don't pester your little brother. He's just nine months old, man. Uh, Laney, don't eat all three of those donuts, dude. You're gonna get a bellyache. Eleni, we don't stand on raw meat. I'm willing to bet I'm the only person that's ever said that sentence before. Now, I I get it. If you're a parent, you get it. Like, kids, they need to hear the word don't for their development. They need to know where the boundaries are, right? They need the guardrails to keep them from the edge before they go screaming off of that cliff. But the truth is, it kind of, it's kind of painful sometimes to say it. Now, admittedly, I am a millennial, which means that I'm a snowflake from not getting disciplined enough when I was a kid, getting too many participation awards. Did someone say amen? Hey, I'm gonna tell my dad on you. (laughs) So I get it, I I say it. it. It is crucial for a child's development. But also, if we focus on the don't too much, when it comes to spiritual development, I think it can have an adverse effect. And I need you to hear, I am incredibly thankful for the spiritual heritage that I'm getting to pass down to my kids because it was first passed down to me. My parents are awesome. And my youth pastor growing up, he was incredible. I would not be a student pastor myself today if it wasn't for him. But to be perfectly honest, I grew up in a church where following Jesus was mostly about the don'ts. Like the old covenant Pharisees who would memorize the 613 don'ts that made up the Jewish law and then use it as like a spiritual bathroom scale with which to weigh and measure one another. That's what it felt like to me a lot of times. That was the benchmark. It felt like I I was constantly hearing things like, uh, do you smoke? No. Do you drink? No. Do you chew? Nope. Do you date the girls that do? Well, I can assure you not for a lack of trying, but no. Okay, then you're following Jesus well. Just just keep donting and you're going to be just fine. The implications being that, that a relationship with Jesus was way more about following the letter of the law than it was about an actual relationship. There it was a lot of focus on the don'ts. It, it, it's no wonder because of that, that that in far too many instances, followers of Jesus are known for what we are against rather than what we're for. I think maybe in some circles, we didn't get the memo that Jesus fulfilled the law. In Matthew five, when Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Those terms abolish and fulfill, those are actually legal terms. meaning I didn't come to abolish his in like declare bankruptcy on the law and like prematurely end that contract. No, 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 I came to fulfill it to bring it to a designated end, because that is now fulfilled in me and I'm here to establish something new, something better. But honestly, it's, it's easier to measure how we're doing when we can count how many of the 613 laws we're keeping than it is to measure, am I loving my neighbor well? So I think sometimes maybe it's like, Jesus, I appreciate you. I'm also going to hold on to this, though, because it's helpful, maybe. Or maybe we just, we don't know because we don't spend enough time in God's word and, and specifically reading the terms of the new covenant. And so we walk around with this unnecessary weight on our necks from time to time. And we're starting a brand new series today called Quoted. And we're going to be taking a look at just a few of the many instances when, when people from the New Testament, authors in the New Testament, quote scripture from the Old Testament, and what the implications are for us to see them do that with such regularity. And we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 4 today. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I would love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 and if you don't have it with you, no worries. As Pastor Dylan likes to say to our students, it's going to be on the Sky Bible behind me. Or, or if you're at home, uh, it's going to be like right here somewhere. So it's, you're totally good. But as you turn to Matthew chapter 4, let me, let me set this up for you a little bit. First of all, you need to know that Luke 3.23 tells us that Jesus was roughly 30 years old when he started his public ministry. Meaning before Jesus did any of the miracles, any of the teaching, any of the raising people back from the dead, any of that, before he started that public ministry, two things happened. Number one, he got baptized by his cousin John, which side note real quick, if you were here with us last weekend or worshiping with us online, like, wasn't it powerful to see all of these people celebrating new life in Christ Jesus through the sacrament of baptism. It was incredible. If you've never been baptized, we've got another baptism date coming up here in a little while, we would love to baptize you. Jesus himself got baptized. And then number two, It says that he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil before he began his public ministry. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted there and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, "No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, "If you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will protect his or he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone." Jesus also responded, Or Jesus responded the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me, get out of here. Satan, Jesus told him for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Listen, there's some incredible things that we're going to unpack here, but keeping it out a 30,000-foot overview of what we just read, it's pretty straightforward. The truth will set you free if you know the truth. And that's our main thought for the day. I would encourage you to write it down, put it in your phone, take a picture, whatever you need to do, because this is powerful. The truth will set you free if you know the truth. Jesus here, he was tempted in many of the same ways that you and I are tempted every single day. Tempted by the things of this world. Tempted to pursue comfort over calling. Or tempted to kind of like force God into a corner so that we can get out of him what we want out of him. If I jump, you better catch me. I'm gonna put you to this test. And yet Jesus, he he breezed right through each of the moments of temptation that we see here for one clear reason, he knew the truth and Jesus himself would later say in John eight thirty two, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But there's a very clear order of operations here before we can be set free. We have to first know the truth. And there's a few things that I think we can certainly glean from Jesus' example here, because it's, it's incredible. And the first of which is, is to be strong where it counts. To be strong where it counts. I've heard preachers talk about this before, and, and they're like, well, isn't it just like the devil to come at you when you're feeling weakest, and kick you when you're down? not really sure why I did that in a Sam Elliott impersonation, but now I get it. You get it. Like I, if I have to go more than 40 minutes without a snack of some kind, I get hangry. So of course Jesus was affected by this 40 days of fasting. He might have been at his physical weakest after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness but you better believe that he was at his spiritual strongest because he had just fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, pursuing God, the father. And this was a moment where I've just been focusing on who God is and what he is calling me to do, why I am here. And so he's like, Satan, yeah, yeah, I might be a little bit peckish right now, but I'm full where it counts. You might have caught me at my physical weakest, but I'm strong spiritually because I know the truth and it's that truth that is going to sustain me through this next season. I might have a lack materially, but man, I have an overabundance spiritually, which is what really matters. Friends, I certainly don't know what each and every one of you is facing today, but I do know that the truth will set you free if you know the truth. The culture around us is telling us all the time to amass more and more, to just kind of hoard for ourselves. That is what is going to bring us security. That is what is going to help us to feel better. That's what Satan tempted Jesus with this illusion of satiation, of, of like, if, if I could just have a little bit more then if if I just, if my belly was a little fuller and my bank account was a little fatter, then I would feel satisfied. And that's what the world around us tells us to do. But Jesus shows us right here, hey, just like you cannot go very long physically without eating, man, you cannot survive very long spiritually without being filled up with God's word on a regular basis. The enemy might be filling your head with the lies of saying you're not good enough. You'll never measure up, but Jesus, he shows us through Paul in second Corinthians 521 that not only are we God's children, but Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. How in the world can we fall prey to the lie that we are not enough? When we know that we are image bearers of God, We are the very righteousness of Jesus. That's what God sees when he looks at us. Don't tell me those lies. The enemy might come at you and say, hey, you are defined by your sins, by your failures, by your mistakes. But just a couple of verses earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us very clearly that we are new creations. In Christ Jesus, the old is passed away. That's not who we are anymore. And we're gonna mess up from time to time, certainly. But he also tells us in Romans 5.20 that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That is the power of truth at work in our lives. The enemy might tell you, you are weak. But hey, it's okay because God told Paul, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Very clearly, God's definition of strength is different than the world's definition. And what matters is that we are strong where it counts, which, by the way, only happens when we pursue God, when we we spend time making sure that we trust in him and him alone surrendering ourselves to him. But the second thing that I think we can pick up from this, Jesus shows us that context matters. And when it comes to reading God's word, context matters. Because the next thing that happens is Satan's like, okay, listen, you wanna play this game? You wanna quote some scripture? I'll play that game with you. Here we go, listen, why don't you jump off right here? Because your precious scripture say in Psalm 91 that God's angels will protect you. They won't even let your foot stumble over a rock. So why don't you just go ahead and jump? He cherry picks a couple verses of scripture completely ignores the context of what they actually mean. At which point Jesus is like, bro, do you even lift? Because scripture also says we must not put the Lord our God to the test. Don't try to play this game with me. It's not going to work well for you. Okay. There's a valuable lesson here when it comes to what Jesus was showing us is that when we're reading God's word, context matters. What Satan does here, again, he cherry-picks a couple verses, ignores the context, and tries to make it say what he wants it to say, which, honestly, I, I think maybe we have a tendency to do way too often. Rather than saying, hey, what, what, is, what is God's truth trying to teach me? It's, what can I find in God's word that will say what I want to say, what I want it to, to say? to pull out a couple of verses and use them in a way that they were never intended to be used. But the truth is, when we fail to ignore, or sorry, when we ignore the context of Scripture and try to misuse it, there's a whole lot more at stake than just use, like, looking silly in the gym, right? And I'll, I'll, talking about the context, we're talking about like, making sure you read the verses that come just before and just after the passage that you're focused on and trying to consider, what was the the cultural and historical setting in which this was written? Uh, Who was this originally written to and why? And where else in Scripture does it talk about this particular subject? Because we don't just read single verses in isolation. All of these things will help us to understand what these biblical authors were actually trying to communicate, what the truth is that is going to set us free rather than just ignoring all of that and trying to twist it into what we wanted to say, and that's what Satan's doing here. And it's a very dangerous thing. Wars have been waged. Genocides have been committed. slavery and racism are part of the culture even within the church. Marital abuse happens and are all seemingly justified by scripture when we ignore the context of what's really trying to be communicated or if we try to twist it into something that we want it to say so that I can can do what I want to do rather than what God is challenging us to do. Jesus shows us why it's important to understand the context and to consider the entirety of what God's word says to us on this given subject. And listen, I get it. It can feel like good grief, Pastor Tommy, you're asking a lot. I I have trouble opening my Bible on a consistent basis to begin with, but now you want me to study it and and check the cross references and, and make sure that I'm seeing what did other people have to say on this. And then I'm reading enough in a single chunk that I, I know what the context is of why it was being written. All of these like dude, be real. And the answer is, is yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what I want for us eventually. Because context matters, but here's the good news. It's, it's, it's okay to start small. In fact, I tell our students all the time, listen, start, start absurdly small. Because author James clear in his book, uh, atomic habits, which by the way, highly recommend that book. He says, you cannot improve a habit that you don't already have. You have to establish some baseline before you can go up from there. And so if you would admit, hey, I, I don't do a great job of this and I know I should be, here's my recommendation for you, okay? Like set some reminders on your phone, get someone to help keep you accountable, or like put visual reminders, whatever you gotta do to make sure that you open your Bible, your, your Bible app just once a day, And then just say a quick prayer. God, just reveal yourself to me. And then here's what I want you to do. Okay. I want you to read one verse. Even if it stops in the middle of a sentence, it's like, I kind of want to know what happens next. Just one verse. Okay. And then do it again the next day and the next day and every day for an entire week. And then on week number two, we're going to stretch ourselves a little bit. Ready for this? Then read two verses. And then let that turn into a handful of verses. And once you've established the habit of just opening it up every single day, then you're like, well, good grief. If I'm here. I might as well spend a little time. And then you can add to that some devotional reading. Listen, I get it. We have an affinity sometimes for like this, this hard copy that I can hold and touch, but there is a world of resources in your pocket right now. If you don't have the Uversion Bible app on your phone, I would highly recommend it because not only can you read through God's word, it will send you reminders. You can choose from some incredible studies that you can do either by yourself or you can actually do it with a group of friends and see who has read for the day, who hasn't read for the day. That, inca- that accountability is incredible. Being able to have a conversation, you can like comment back and forth together right there. And then once you have started that to, like, do some devotional time as well, then, man, some, some commentary reading. There's some great study Bibles out there. You can check those out. And then you can build as you go. It's okay to start small because you cannot improve a habit that you do not already have. Okay? Give yourself a little bit of grace. And the, the key is just to do it, to start somewhere. Don't, don't be like January 17 where it's like, well, I said I was going to work out for 12 hours a day, and then I, I was going to like read for 72 hours a day, and then now I just can't even go to work anymore, so I'm, I'm going to have to stop doing all these things that I was hoping to do. Like it's, it's okay. Again, establish the baseline and go up from there. And when, not if, but when you miss a day, just don't let one day turn into two and then three, because then you're establishing the habit of not staying in God's word again. And these habits will help you to be strong where it counts. And it'll help us to understand what the biblical authors were trying to communicate because context matters. And then the third thing that I think we can pick up from Jesus's example here is that champions aren't made in the ring, they're just recognized there. I love this quote from, from boxing legend, Joe Frazier. As I think it so perfectly summarizes the example that Jesus was setting here. The implication, obviously, being of his words that yeah someone might actually win the fight in the ring, but really, it's all about the months and months of hard work and hours and literal blood, sweat, and tears that are put into the gym that are preparing you for that moment. I'm actually training right now for a bicycle ride that I'm going to do this fall. It's called the Copper Triangle. It's going to be a 79-mile ride that will have me climb over three consecutive mountain passes over the course of about six hours on my bike. And the answer is, yes, I am stupid and a glutton for punishment. But I can assure you, if I don't hop on my bike a few times between now and then, It's not going to end well for me. You might never see me again. I can assure you of that. And that's what Joe Frazier is saying here. Sure. Champions are made in the ring or they're not made in the ring. They're they're made long before that they're just recognized in the ring. And Jesus showed us that same example. Again, he spent 30 years of his life preparing to do about three years worth of ministry. He had a long time before this moment spent hours and hours driving God's word deep into his heart and flexing those spiritual muscles and making sure that that relationship is where it needed to be. I can assure you in the heat of battle is not the optimal time to try to sharpen your sword. Listen, I I don't, again, I don't know what it is that you're going through. Some of you are like, hey, besides having to wear a mask every now and then, like things are pretty good. If that's the case, then good grief. Young people in the room, this is the time right now to start driving God's word deep into your heart. Because when we do that, when we know the truth, the truth will set us free if we know the truth. And God wants to, to give us this, these tools to be able to, to overcome these, this temptation, and to overcome the lies of the enemy in our own head, this battle that we're constantly fighting, which is really difficult to do if we do not know the truth. To be able to understand and recognize who we are and what our identity is, living out our purpose, because we know that we are children of the Most High God. God. And listen, let me, let me give you a little bit of a tip, okay? If, if this is something that you're like, yeah, and it kind of, it's new to me. Don't start at the very beginning, okay? <laughs> don't just turn to page one and start reading. Because if you do that, the likelihood that you will ever make it to Jesus, like way back here, is pretty low, all right? And besides, for most of us, unless you were raised in a Jewish home, most of us are Gentiles, That means that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, operates a lot like a prequel to a great movie. If you have seen the movie, knowing the prequel, it just helps the movie to come alive that much more, to know all of the backstory of what led up to this amazing thing. But if, if we don't know, like if you watch episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars before you see the original three, first of all, that's stupid, don't do that, okay? It just, it doesn't make as much sense along the way to do it in that order. And so, listen, start, if you're new to this, start, start with the Gospels. Just, just learn and, and, and read and study from the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And the words, the life-giving words that are in red in a lot of the Bibles. If even that feels like that's still kind of a lot, then ju- just read John, just start with John. So much life in the book of John. And then from there, you can take a look at, at some of Paul's letters, like First like and Second Corinthians or Romans, all of these incredible letters that, that do such an incredible job unpacking the subtleties and the nuances of, of what Jesus taught us. So he said, hey, I got one commandment for you. I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. And Paul's words are are full of such great instruction on what that practically looks like when we live it out. And listen, I know it can feel sometimes like this shame, like, yeah, I gotta check that box off, but that's not what it's about. It's about pursuing that relationship with God, driving that truth into our hearts, because when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. But only if we know it first. Friends, God's, God's word will come alive. And it will give you life. Because again, the truth will set you free if you know the truth. It will go from something I have to do to something I can't live without it. I can't go through what I'm going through right now without hanging tight to God's word. Listen, it was, it was really hard for me. Feeling like I, I would never measure up because I just, I couldn't keep up with all of the don'ts. I felt like that's what following God was all about. Not not a relationship, just just the don'ts. So I, I will never forget the moment when it felt like, like life just rushed into me. When I read Romans 7, 6 for the first time which says, But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. I read that and tears just welled up in my eyes because it felt like, like this massive weight was being removed from me. And I suddenly got it and realized it's, it's, not, it's not about the don'ts. It's about a relationship. And what's interesting is I still don't do a lot of the don'ts that were driven into me from a young age. But now it's no longer because I'm doing them out of a sense of obligation or fear or guilt or shame. I just want to honor my Savior. I just want people to see him when they look at me. I don't get it right all the time, I'm far from perfect. My prayer is just that God shaped me to look more and more like you every single day. That's the truth that set me free far later than it should have because I just, I wasn't in God's word enough to know it. And God wants to do some incredible things in your life. He wants to continue to mold and shape you, and it's okay. Wherever you're at is totally fine. We say all the time, we are people in process. God's love will meet you exactly where you are. But he also loves you way too much to leave you there. He has so much more in store for you. It's okay, start small, establish the habit. But don't stay small. Allow God's word to shape you, God's spirit to guide you. It said to help you to look more and more like him in a world that doesn't look a whole lot like him. It'll help you to overcome temptations like it did for Jesus. It'll help you again to overcome the lies of the enemy that I know. have to feel like there's so many people here or at home that are just heavy under the weight of the lies the enemy is constantly telling you. God wants to set you free from those things. And again, it'll help you to live out your purpose by knowing your true identity. But one thing it won't do is happen by accident. It takes time It takes intentionality. It requires us to make room in our busy and hectic schedules rather than just hoping it'll eventually happen. But It's far too important to ignore because God has so much more in store for you than you could ever ask or imagine. So whatever that next step is for you, take it this week the truth will set you free if you know the truth will you stand with me for a moment we're gonna say a word of prayer and then we're gonna take some time to respond and to invite God to work in our lives and in our hearts to commit that God we do want to make room for you let me pray father thank you so much that where sin abounds grace abounds much more God, we're not gonna get this right all the time and that's okay, you meet us right in the middle of our mess. But Father, you have freedom waiting for us. Even if we have said yes already, there are things that you want to remove, if only we would just give them to you. If only we would take the time to learn the truth, to read your words, to allow your words to just pour life into us. God, I pray for freedom from the burdens that we are carrying, from the lies that we believe about ourselves way too often. God, we want your spirit to move in us, to shape us. We want that relationship to be strong. We want to remove anything that is keeping us from having that perfect relationship with you. But God, we surrender those to you. And God, we want to make room for you to continue to work in our lives. We thank you for your love. It's in your name that we pray.